Welcome to Faster Please, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas. Several times a month, I'll feature a lively conversation with a fascinating and provocative guest about how to make the world a better place through scientific discovery, technological innovation, and economic growth. You're also going to want to check out my Faster Please newsletter. You're on Substack throughout the week for fresh essays, Q&As, and stories from around the internet and around the world. Readers and listeners of Faster Please know how incredible the untapped potential of nuclear power truly is. As our society, hopefully, begins to warm to the idea of nuclear as an abundant, sustainable, and safe source of energy, a new generation of engineers and entrepreneurs is developing a whole new model of nuclear power, the micro-reactor. Here on this episode of Faster Please, the podcast, I talk with James Walker, a nuclear physicist and CEO of Nanonuclear Energy, about the countless applications of his company's underdevelopment, mobile, and easily deployable nuclear reactors. James, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks very much for having me. Glad to be here. I'm a nuclear power enthusiast. I think it's an important technology. I think it's also super important that we are able to do this technology in a cost-effective way that reactors can be built on time, and on budget. Why don't we start off, tell me a little bit about your technology and uh, why someone with those goals like myself should be enthusiastic about it. I would say the way Nano got going is probably of interest then. When we first entered the nuclear space, and my background is a nuclear physicist, a nuclear engineer. So I knew that there's a very high bar to entry in nuclear, and there's a lot of well-established players in the space. But really, when we actually took a look at the whole landscape, most of the development was in the SMR space, the Kairos, the Terra Powers, the new scales. And we could see what they were doing. They were aiming for a much more manufacturable reactor that could deploy a lot faster. There was going to be a lot smaller, fewer mechanical components, smaller operating staff to bring down costs. So that all made a lot of sense. But what I think was missing in the market and there are a few companies involved in this, was that the microreactor space looked to be the larger potential market. And I say that because microreactors are more readily deployable to places like remote mining sites, remote habitation, disaster relief areas, military bases, island communities. You can put them on maritime vessels to replace bunker fuel, charging stations for EV vehicles, essentially hundreds of thousands of potential locations competing against diesel generators, which up till now, up till microreactors, had no competition. So the big transformative change here is, obviously SMRs are going to contribute that, but microreactors can completely reshape the energy landscape. And that's why it's exciting. That's the big change. You gave some examples. So I want you to give me a couple more examples, but I'll say that I was thinking the other day about the expansion partially due to AI of these big data centers around the country. Is that the kind of thing, and you can give me other examples as well, of where a much smaller microreactor might be a good fit for? And tell me just like, how big are these reactors? AI centers and data centers are particularly a big focus of tech at the moment. Like Microsoft even have people deliberately going out and speaking to nuclear companies about being able to charge these new stations because they, they want these things to be green, but they also want them in locations which are readily accessible to the grid. And a lot of the time, some of the, re- the power requirements of these things might be bigger than the town next to them where they've got these things. So they their own microreactor or SMR system is actually a really good way of solving this, where it's zero carbon emitting energy, you can put it anywhere, and it is the most f- consistent form of energy. 
you can outcompete diesel in that front. It can outcompete wind or solar. It really has no competitors. So they are leaning in that direction. And a lot of the big drive in nuclear at the moment is coming from industry. So that's the big change, I think. It's not strictly now a government-pushed initiative. What's the difference between these of the SMR reactors, which my listeners and readers might be a little bit more familiar with? So SMRs, the small modular reactors, obviously, if you think of a large conventional nuclear power station, you're thinking of dozens and dozens of acres of land being occupied by essentially a big facility. And SMR brings that down by an order of magnitude. You still need to probably have an area of about 10 city blocks, but the reactor itself is much, much smaller, occupies a much smaller footprint within that. Micro reactors are much smaller again. So if you take our designs as an example, the whole system, the core and the turbine that produces the electricity all fits within an ISO container. If you think of the standard shipping container you see on the back of a ship or you see on the back of a truck or a train, that's where you're really looking at. The reason for that is that we're trying to make it as deployable and as mobile as possible. So conventional transportation infrastructure, trucks, trains, ships, get these things anywhere in the world, helicopter them in if you really want to. And once they're down there, you've got 10, 15, 20 years of power consistently without that constant need to import fuel like you would with the diesel generator. That's the real big advantage of these things. And obviously SMRs don't have that ability, but they are more powerful machines. So you're powering cities or bit towns and that kind of thing. They are catering to different markets. They're not exactly competitors and they're very complementary. But even for big grid systems, microreactors could play a big part because they could be intermittently placed within a grid system so that you have backup power systems all the time, not reliant on one major area to produce power for the entire grid system. It can always draw power from wherever it needs. And there's a big advantage to microreactors there. Other examples of where microreactors can be used, we know that the military is very interested because they have a obligation to be able to self-power for at least two weeks. And obviously, microreactors can take you well beyond that for like 15 years. So that easily meets their requirements. They're looking to get rid of diesel and replace them with microreactors. And they're, they're putting money in that space. I would say a big market is going to be things like island communities that predominantly run on diesel at the moment. And that means it's expensive and it's polluting. And they're constantly bringing in diesel on a daily basis. And countries like the Philippines, Indonesia, where they have the majority of their population on these island communities that all run on diesel, you would essentially be taking hundreds of millions of people off a diesel generator and putting them onto nuclear. If you could bring in that technology to these areas. And the US actually has an enormous population on island communities that run on diesel too, that could be replaced with micro reactors. And you, you could then have a zero carbon emitting solution to energy requirements and less energy insecurity. Would they need to be refueled? And how many people would it take? Like how many technical people would you need to operate one of them? The idea here with our reactors is that we don't want to refuel at site. What we would likely do is just decommission that reactor and remove it and we would just bring in a replacement. It's just less messy. There's no refueling process. It's easier to license that way. The interesting part about this is that we actually would probably only need a couple of people on site while the reactor is running. And the reason for that is because obviously we need someone for physical security and maybe a mechanic on site that can just do some sort of physical intervention to modify the mechanical equipment. The way these will likely work is that you'll have a, a central location where it monitors the behavior of dozens of reactors that are deployed at any one time. And you have all your nuclear engineers and your operators in that space and they monitor everything. So you don't need a nuclear engineer at each site. 
And that way, these things are very deployable. And to be honest, they would be, everybody who's going to work on these things is going to be quite bored. There's not going to be a lot to do because reactors are mostly self-regulating systems and the intervention that's needed on a daily basis is very minimal. So even for the hub, it's mostly just an observation exercise to check on transient behavior as it's operating and then maybe some tweaks here and there. And that's essentially all that would need to be done for these things. So, and then you can bring down your OPEX costs very, very considerably. Just a bit about the technology itself. You're, you're working on two different reactors. Can you explain the differences in reactors and sort of where they are in the sort of development deployment stage? We have two expert technical teams working on two different reactor designs. And that's partly so we can de-risk our own operations. So we know that even if one meets critical problems, the other one will be able to go on. So we're just doubling our chances of success. The MO we gave to both of them was the same. It has to be modular. It needs to be passively cooling. It needs to be able to be shipped anywhere in the world. So it needs to fit within an ISO container. And we gave them both, both teams that MO. They both came up with very innovative and, and novel solutions to that problem. So the Zeus reactor, which draws from the scientists and engineers down in California, their solution was just completely remove the coolant and use a thermal conduction mechanism. And if you do that, you can remove all the mechanical systems in the reactor. You reduce the size, you reduce the pumps, and then you have something that's very, very simple and, and the size shrinks right down. You can get it in that isocontained system. That's very innovative. That's the Zeus reactor. The Odin team, their solution was, well, if you could introduce some initial heat into the system for a salt-based system, and the uranium is providing that natural heat, then you create a natural circulation so you can remove pumps and you can remove circulatory systems. And that way, again, you can shrink the reactor right down. So two very different solutions to the same problem. And, and that's how they differ. Odin does have a coolant that, is, that has a natural circulation that moves it around. And Zeus has removed the coolant completely, which is more novel, I would say, and relies on a thermal conduction mechanism where the uranium just gets hot and it conducts through a solid core to the periphery where the heat just gets removed by a naturally circulating air just going around now. Is there a difference with how much power each kind could potentially generate from like, like a shipping container sized unit? There was originally, but I think the constraints of having to confine it to a shipping container almost got them into the same ballpark. So they're now both about, well, I'd say Zeus is maybe four megawatt thermal, Odin it might be five megawatt thermal, but the power of the electric, once the conversion goes through, it brings them out to that one, one and a half megawatt electric power output. And what can that power? Thousand homes for 20 years, mine sites, oil and gas sites for bringing the oil to the surface, remote communities, uh, military bases. Plenty of power for that kind of thing. Plenty of power for that kind of thing. And also like big upside would be places where there's communities that are completely removed from the grid, desalination plants, medical facilities. Suddenly that all becomes very possible. You can unlock an enormous amount of wealth from landlocked resources which just aren't economic because of fuel requirements to mine those things so you can unlock trillions of dollars of value in resources just by having microreactors come into these remote locations whenever i talk with an expert about this subject we eventually get to these two questions one question is sort of what is this technology's timeline so there's that technology question and then the second issue what's the regulatory environment like for you folks? You're going to see SMRs come online first. They're going to get licensed first. They, they got a bit of a head start. 
My correctors at the moment, all of the main contenders, including us, are basically at the same point. We're going into physical and test work, looking at about a two-year process to collect all the data for licensing. Licensing is actually the longest lead item. That's about four, just under four years. That takes us all out to about 2030, where before you have a commercial deployment of a microreactor, you're able to go anywhere you want. I would imagine SMRs is going to be several years for that. But then once microreactors could deploy, you'll see many more of them being deployed than SMRs. Would they be regulated by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission? Is that who the chief regulator is? Yes. Yeah, so the, the, the NRC deals with all commercial ventures. So if it's defense or public, then you obviously it would be DOE or DOD. NRC manages commercial ventures. So they're, in, they're going to be in charge of the licensing for all microreactors and SMRs. I, I would say to your comments about the regulatory environment, I assume there are going to be adjustments made to the way these things are licensed because they are a very different product to a big conventional civil power plant, which is gigawatts or multiple gigawatts down to one megawatt. It's a very different device, very different operating system. I anticipate there will be changes. If they're not, that might complicate the deployment of, of microreactors. We do know they are aware of the need to modify the regulatory framework around these new systems. So we're hoping, obviously, in time for when we go to licensing process, and all the other microreactors are probably hoping the same, that that framework is in place so it can be assessed on their own criteria. Are you viewing this as primarily initially as an American market or as a European market, as an Asian market? What do you see as a potential market for this, you know, once, once we're up and running? First market would be the American market. And that's going to hit things like mining sites, military bases, data centers, AI centers, Things removed off from the grid, but then you can expand very quickly in the States for something like charging stations for EV vehicles in the middle of nowhere. If you bring diesel generators in to power those things, it defeats the point. And you can't just put wind and solar farms wherever you want because they're very locationally dependent on weather systems. But microreactors actually mean you can suddenly electrify the entire country. So you can periodically site charging stations for EV vehicles throughout the whole country. And that'll be tens of thousands of potential essentially recharging stations that you can then drive your EV vehicle across the country because there could be periodic charging stations for all these vehicles. So it'll begin with that way. And we'll see a similar thing in continents like Europe that have more sophisticated grid systems. But then as it expands into places like Southeast Asia and Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand, big island community countries where microactors are replacing diesel generators and making them more green. And then in places like Africa, large swathes of population cut off from the grid completely. And then you'll see them deploying into those areas for desalination, medical facilities, and then ultimately mining projects. Big picture then, what's the dream? What does the technology and the company look like in 2035 or 2040? So I'd say 2035, what we want to do is we want to be really deploying thousands of things across the world not just not just the states in north america but like internationally there's a, essentially an unlimited market for these we won't sell the reactors but we will sell the power so we'll be an operator for all these companies industry partners mining companies we hope to be putting these things on ships and replacing bunker fuel and maritime vessels we won't be hitting the main grid systems exactly i think smrs will pick up a lot of slack there but for the first time, we'll be in a position to really start taking our microactors and the cost of these things by 2035 will have fallen to such a point that 
They will be more economic than diesel generators in the middle of nowhere that rely on a constant importation of diesel and the associated costs with that. It could be very transformative. It could create an enormous amount of wealth. It could improve the health of the planet across the board for locations that are cut off. And for Nano, I, I already believe will be a, a massive company anyway, but there'll be a lot of blue sky potential for expanding into other industries. You're designing, you're developing. Would, would you be the manufacturer ultimately of these reactors? Yes, we'll be the manufacturer of these things. As I mentioned, though, we won't sell them because people won't be interested in a big upfront capital cost with the associated operating liability. So we will just sell power. You need 10 megawatts for 20 years, we'll supply that. You need 16 megawatts for five years, we'll supply that too. So people wouldn't be buying the reactor, they'd be buying the power from the reactor. They would be buying the power from the reactors, not buying the reactor itself. Sounds amazingly exciting. Appreciate taking a few minutes to chat with me. No problem at all. Thank you very much for having us on.